Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Leftology Podcast. Today for host, it's just me, Cameron. And for a guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Marcy. Uh, but on Twitter, I go by E-Girl Music Theory. Um, well, today I wanted to start off with the topic of uh, uh, there's a lot of bills going around, especially here in the southeast where I am, um, debating trans participation in sports and then even more extreme trans healthcare bills where I don't know the exacts for everyone, but uh, most uh, include like blocking access to puberty blockers for, uh, I guess, underage people. Um, and then some, I think there was one or two that restricted healthcare workers from having to treat trans people if it was against their like beliefs. Um, but right. just general thoughts on those. There were, so, oh God, I have the stat somewhere. Um, how many was it? Okay, um, at least 117 anti-trans bills have been introduced in the current legislative se uh, session. So like, it absolutely dwarfs every other year because we're living through this kind of period of like nationwide trans panic um, with the release of books like Irreversible Damage and the kind of people who go on Joe Rogan and the the cultural zeitgeist that inspires, right? Um, it's, it's now an issue that politicians are talking about and it's an issue that they're writing laws about. Um, I am not a stranger to these laws though because I live in Idaho, full disclosure, and like how long ago was it? It was, I think it was last year. There was some anti-trans legislation introduced one bill about um, trans sports in high schools and another one about um, not being able to change the, the gender on your birth certificate, which I, the first one, right? Like conservatives will pretend that there is like valid data and like reasons out there to ban trans women from sports with cis women, because like, that's just kind of a, a thing that people viscerally feel, you know, people are like men stronger than women, trans women, men, therefore trans women know in women's sports. Right. But the birth certificate one stuck out to me because like, what is the point of that? You know, like the cruelty seems like it's the point. And that's the vibe I get from these, uh, these bans on like, uh, puberty blockers for kids, HRT for, uh, young teenagers who might feel that they've made the decision, you know, it seems like the cruelty is more of the point than the actual like concerns in a very I, naked way that hasn't really been on display like this since like the sixties. Yeah. Uh, for my state, my state, South Carolina, for that many of our listeners know, um, I was reading an article on the trans sports bill, which I believe has at least passed the house and the Senate in our state. Um, I don't know if the governor signed it or not, but the article that I was reading about it in, and it's like one of our local stations uh, was talking about how one of the representatives said that there's actually been no cases of this happening in South Carolina, and that it was just a precautionary bill. That's how a lot of them are. <laughs> a lot, because there's not that many trans people, you know, who would have thought not going to get a lot of cis guys like changing their entire lifestyle their entire like mode of living switching completely into like the other one that is scarier sometimes and like scare much scarier for people who are transitioning a lot of cis guys aren't going to do that just so they can win sports against girls right that's a very simplistic way to view the issue and i think that's how a lot of conservative voters see it i don't think that's how the politicians see it but i think the politicians are doing this mostly as a virtue signal um which is sad because people are hurt by it right i think this kind of culture war issue is um 
it's not the sort of thing that they actually genuinely care about. And if they do, it's probably not for informed reasons. It, it seems like they're throwing a bone to the, the people who don't like the transes that support them. I'm really hoping that this is the, kind of the last leg of the culture war, because I can't really imagine what comes next. I don't know. Some people think non-binary people, but honestly, like, who knows? I, I personally think that's kind of somewhere in the middle between like the last culture war of gays and or gay people uh, and the current one, I guess, which because yeah. I exist such in like left spaces, like I thought that culture war was pretty much over a few years ago. And then I was like, oh, wait, conservatives exist. I forgot. Ah, there's dumb yeah, people. I mean, they're, like as much as we don't, as much as it's kind of gauche these days, like there are still open homophobes, you know? Like these culture wars are, are are won by progressives generally because like more people are sympathetic to progressive causes um, as the generations progress and everything. And as we kind of adjust our media sphere to accommodate the fact that there are people out there who exist, right? But like, I don't know, people hold on to these reactionary views and they don't just go away. Um, and that's kind of my worry. Another worry that I have is that like these anti-trans bills and this sort of nationwide trans panic is just an extension of gay panic, right? Of like deviation from tradition bad. Um, I mean, it makes me sick, but I can't dedicate too much doom scrolling to it because I get depressed. Uh, when, when the bills in Idaho are on the table though, the ACLU stepped in and neither one of those bills passed. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I don't know what oh no that's completely separate we have another bill being blocked by a judge right now uh our abortion ban is being or our semi-abortion ban is being blocked by a judge right now semi-abortion ban What's six that week about? the six week one that's being passed around as legislation <laughs> a six week ban on abortions yeah which is that's um i don't know that doesn't make a lot of visceral sense to me like Stop. You got to put a line somewhere, and they—the earlier you put it, the more it's kind of—it's their goal. Yeah, I get that it's a push in the direction of um, regression, you know. But like, the goal is I, zero. When I think about it, it almost reminds me of that—that uh, that Donald Trump quote, where he's like, "I'm calling for a complete and total shutdown of Muslims entering the United States." Except it's, "I am calling for a complete and total shutdown of reproductive health care." until we figure out what the hell is going on. It's like pretty weird. Hey, get off. Cat likes to like sit on my keyboard and press keys and close Acts out like a apps. human. Or at so. least that's what I've been told they do. Uh, yeah. I, a little off talk, topic, but I hear that if you get them their own keyboard, they'll use it. <laughs> they will. It helps if it's warm though. They uh, Half the reason they lay on laptop keyboards is because they are trying to like keep warm. Oh, she's so cute. I guess the, the next topic is kind of a little close to the, this one. I don't know how often uh, you do debates. It's like maybe once or twice a week from what I at least see. Um, but like, I don't, I guess most of the topics are about this too. You're not really doing economic. That's not a big debate thing anymore. Uh, it, it is, but um it's rough though because when you debate economics you have to be like very very prepared right because economics are a very like deep field you know and i spent most of my early life um looking into like social justice issues um psychology sociology kind of like these 
broad studies of like culture um, and a lot of the humanities, right? So I, I know like a lot in those fields and can back myself up pretty easily and I'm like pretty good at researching stuff, right? To prep for debates, but economics and like um, the hard sciences and mathematics, all of this is like so outside of my wheelhouse. I was like the furthest thing from a STEM kid in high school, right? So I have to start from absolute like scratch figuring this stuff out and I don't feel confident enough to debate it. I don't feel confident enough in my own positions, but someone like Mouthy Infidel, you know, can can yeah. fucking rattle this stuff off and, and yeah. do great. You know? uh, talking to him off, or I guess outside of the podcast has been helpful. I'm somewhat on a social wealth fund. I still want nationalization, but uh, he's convinced me on a few things here and there. I'll take it over nothing. I'll take what yeah. he believes over nothing. Um, I, uh, I've been embracing Medlock thought, but <laughs> I haven't really, I haven't delved super deep into Medlock thought. You know, I haven't I read like any Medlock, so I don't know what the thought is. I think it's mainly centers around social wealth fund, which would be pretty close to Brunig thought. Yeah, the social wealth fund and like broader kind of tax policy. Um, he's big on. I'm, I'm pretty sure graduated income taxes. But yeah, he's I, the pay your taxes guy. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, it's kind of like the kid who says do your homework in the class, you know, but I respect it. Someone's got to be that kid. True, sometimes at least. I also um, don't know what Medlock looks like. Like when I think of him, I, I think, think of his anyone profile, does. Is, that's a different guy. That's like a different economist. That's a guy from like the 30s or something. Yeah, I, I literally looked up like who is James Medlock's profile picture and I found like an article on him and I read about his life and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, but I guess for me, uh, is like maybe a year or so ago of it, like expanding the economic di like discourse I was seeing, like outside the communist slash socialist sphere for the first time since I'd pretty much become a liberal socialist. Um, and then like neoliberals show up and I'm like, why the fuck do I care where the Fed chair went to lunch today? I don't, I don't care about that. I agree. No, I mean, there's some like, I don't know. I feel like especially in like online political spheres, there are some people who um, think of like abstract economic theory as like the important discourse to be having. And I think there's a place for that, you know, but I also don't necessarily think we're going to be changing the economic structure of the United States and by extension, the globe anytime soon. Um, so to me, that sort of takes a back burner to the more pressing issues of like climate change and civil rights and things that, you know, I, I have looked into more um, and so have a, a I have more confidence in my own positions and the ability to back up those positions. You know, that's why I don't debate economics because I just, I can't, it's the same reason I don't debate philosophy. I can't like even parse the jargon of philosophy enough to yeah. figure out what I'm talking about. I'm becoming a philosophy major in college. And then some like kids are like kids, like two or three years younger than me will put up like some epistemological phrases. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about this. Like, <laughs> what does this have to do with morality? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I like I took one philosophy class um, and it was when I was going through a, a brief um, little day with alcoholism and <laughs> the, the class was called philosophy of alcohol um, and it was a good class. I learned a lot, but I didn't learn enough to talk about philosophy with people online who've spent like the last five years grounding their axioms and figuring out like through propositional logic each position. And I, so I, I just, it's, it's tough for me. You know, I had one debate on philosophy one time and I thank the, I thank every God that it wasn't recorded because I got so triggered. I, uh, he, 
he kept like pitching a hypothetical and I had no idea what it had to do with anything. Um, and then I looked into it and I was like, oh yeah, okay. I was in the wrong. And that was when I learned not to debate about things you don't know about. Yeah. Like the terms are really hard for me too, because like I, I was presented with more realist and I was like, but everything is in context. Um, and then I realized, oh, I'm also a moral realist because these aren't mutually exclusive terms. What is that, a moral realist versus a moral anti-realist? I don't know what an anti-realist is, but a realist is that there's like moral truths, I guess. And the I guess to the extent that I am one, it's that uh, I guess it would be somewhat I'm somewhat I don't know enough about utilitarianism to like strictly call myself one. But if we're supposed to uh, increase happiness and decrease pain, which is the goal of that, there are some objective ways to do that. Okay, yeah. Um, I. Hmm. So it's not more realism perspective. That's like my perspective, I guess. That's, that's super rough for me, though, because um, within the current framework, I would agree. But in a different society, maybe. I don't know. It's it's such a like broad deep topic, but yeah, I it's just too I, much to discuss. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I fall on like the moral realism question. The MRQ, the moral realism question. I know I'm not like a hundred percent one way or the other. Probably like no, 70, yeah. 80. I've met like full like people who describe themselves as more uh, moral realists. And they, um, it's hard to argue with somebody. It, it's the same reason it's hard to argue with somebody who's religious and like arguing from their religion. Cause you can't like disprove the laws of the universe in, in someone's head. So if someone like firmly believes that something is objectively wrong and there's no way to um, address it in, in a way that like treats it any less than like objective wrong, then it's hard to have a conversation on that topic because you can't sway them like on their foundations. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't had enough debates. The one philosophy class I've had so far is called Human Nature. And I've come to the conclusions, uh, which a lot of people also have had, uh, that human nature is not real. It's not a thing. It's, there's no point in debating over it. It's, it's not real. It's malleable. We are what we are. Yeah, that is true. And in terms of, um, I, know, I think I know more about anthropology than I do about philosophy, because that's, that's definitely a truism, right? And like, something that I've been kind of delving into lately has been like good and evil, right? Like is, are there people who are born evil or is there like an evil essence to people? And I've, in my opinion, no, I think people are their experiences. Um, and so like pe people are shaped by their environment. I don't think anyone is like, I don't think Hitler was born like wanting to kill a bunch of people. I think born an artist and then you crushed his, they crushed his dreams. Uh, yeah, and and that's tough to talk about, right? Because then it's like, I got in the worst argument yesterday about um, someone saying that we should execute pedophiles, right? Oh, I, I think I saw the end of that. Yeah, I so I think that um, people who, to a greater extent, like people who push for the death penalty in general, but for particularly like people who push for the death penalty for certain crimes, but believe in restorative justice for others, aren't really thinking, right? They're having like a visceral emotional response to something that seems wrong. And in the case of pedophilia, yeah, that's like wrong, right? Because you're exploiting children and you're taking advantage of children. Um, and also it's just like a bit gross, but um, like you can't solve a little bit the more social... than a bit. 
Yeah, I know. But you can't solve a social problem by just killing everybody who does the thing. You know, you don't solve racism by putting all the racists on an island and then nuking the island. You know, you solve racism th through like addressing kind of the cultural roots of that racism and the, the laws that have normalized that racism. And I think that a similar approach is needed in terms of things like pedophilia or sexual assault. But um, you get you have those discussions and people call you a pedo apologist for saying that we shouldn't just make policy based on the way people feel. Yeah, my, I think my last guest, uh, Thoracy, which runs, what is it, Coping Right Wing? Now? Thoracy is put through the fucking ringer on this website. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's been he's been dealing with that for like six months. Plus, his, like, his partner's like a year or two younger than him, I think. I remember that. I remember him getting canceled for that. I'm like... Isn't he also like 18 or like He's 19? like 18 and, or 19 and I think... The, like they're getting over him for dating someone that's like 17 yeah it's not it was, even like a carson call me carson thing it's like he has no power dynamic over anyone he's like ten thousand twitter followers yeah that's really silly i don't know people will try to make things problematic that just aren't i uh i mean my my partner and i like we're married and when i when i met them i was 19 and they were 17 for like a month and then they turned 18. Um, and like during that month, if I had had 20,000 Twitter followers on the left wing side of Twitter, I would have been very, very careful not to post about that relationship. Um, but people, I, I remember the reason people were targeting Thoracy is because of um, his defense of Vosh, like his very milquetoast defense of Vosh. Vosh has his bad claims for through. Like the possession of child porn one was a little like I, I don't know what you're getting on here, Vosh. It was a it was a bad look, but I do I do understand the appeal of wanting to have the hottest take in the room. Um, that was <laughs> that was me for like two months when I was a like Chapo Trap House fan. So I understand, uh, right? I, I understand why you would say something like that if you didn't think it was gonna get the kind of attention it got. But um, yeah, no, that's a pretty indefensible phrasing. Um, but calling Thoracy a pedophile for um, saying that that wasn't actually that bad about another person who you say is a pedophile because you think so. It's, I don't know. It just gets very like muddied. Oh, ooh. I, wanted, I forgot to do an episode on this because I think one of me or my co-host was busy, but the Matt Gates thing that happened recently. Dude, uh, I don't even know. The news it, about that is fucking everywhere. It was perfectly timed as like a joke from like God or whatever, because the day before he had said, um, I think it was in a, like a, what was it? A quote tweet chain with other like Republicans where they had said, uh, if I get in a big scandal, call it blank. And he was like, if I get in a huge scandal, call it Gates Gates or Gates Gate. And then the next day he gets accused of child trafficking. I remember that actually. Yeah, Gates Gate. <laughs> nice job, Matt. Very proud of you. I, I think, I, think him, I saw I'm it immediately sure. on poorly aged things. Like the story keeps growing with him. 
like I, I keep hearing about like now there's all like his big team of lawyers involved and like the FBI is involved because he, like he was working for the FBI, but he wasn't actually, he just said that for Tucker Carlson. And then he like implicates Tucker Carlson in a whole bunch of bullshit. I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I've been following it, but I still can't make really any sense of it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it. It's a really old story, but, uh, oh, oh, here it is. Uh, I heard about it on like Chapo first, uh, but his son or his quote unquote son, Nestor, there's the 19 year old that he had had with him that would follow him around wherever he goes like a year or so ago. Do you remember that news story? No. Ooh, I'll ha this is. I imagine it wasn't his son. Oh, no, no, no. It's somebody who. Uh, uh, Florida representative Matt Gates tells the story of the teen he's been raising whom he calls his son. The two-term Republican congressman surprised many with his Thursday announcement that he's a parent, though he has an adopted 19-year-old Nestor. Our family's defined by love, end quote. So I, I, I don't know if the, there's a connection here, but like... Nestor. <laughs> I could, let me send this uh, story over discord but this is like almost a year old now i think nestor's a very silly name <laughs> jesus christ why is he raising us this is way too this is too long for to have a reading series uh but for those that want to learn about nestor from last year uh i will drop the link uh in the comments below or not the comments the description below when i post this <laughs> It's it's a very interesting story, and I think there's a Chapo Trap House episode. There, there's like two of them on that. Uh, but I think this has been okay, brought so up. He, so he moved in with him. He moved in with Matt. I would believe so. Yes. I I, I don't know the it particulars of this because it's it's been like two hundred news cycles since this happened, or ten months. Oh, Donald Trump Jr., Nestor Galvin, and Florida rep Matt Gates pictured together. Ugh, why do the Trump kids look like that? Oh, are you talking about how they stand like a centaur without the horse half? God, yeah, and also they're like weird kind of fit. They make like the, like the face in every picture. Like it's, it's, it's like. Like this? It's like that. Like they have like dead eyes and a dead face. They look like taxidermied human beings, especially Eric. I don't know what's wrong with Eric. I mean, they were probably all neglected as children, especially Donald Trump Jr. was neglected as a child. Donald Jr. looks extremely greasy. Like, I, I don't know, like his hair and his face and his whole kind of presence, he looks greasy in the spiritual sense in that he looks like a used car salesman, but he also just looks like he's been taking a bath in oil all the time. He looks like very, he looks like he would have like a, you know, those people who have an aura of like stink, you know, like they walk in the room and they walk by you and you're like, who is it? Not, that, I, feel I don't like know if I know that. Those people. But like, I know like, he would be like a perfect Adam Sandler comedy. Yes. But like a, oh my God. But like the ones with like slight drama in it, especially the, the one childhood story that I know of him is that during uh, Trump and Ivanka's divorce, 
Ivanka tried to use him for leverage. And then Donald Trump just replied with, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I I want that movie. I want Adam Sandler to make a movie where he's Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> I don't that's want Adam perfect. Sandler being Donald Trump Jr. Because no, that's I think Adam Sandler's problem. aged out of it. Are you kidding? Like you maybe could, like, during Billy Madison in the late 90s, but now I, I think Hubie it's Did you see Huey Halloween? Did you see Huey Halloween? I have not. Let me look what that up. <laughs> it's or, the most recent Adam Sandler movie. It's very bad. Oh, and, that the one that he just made to be like a F you to Netflix? Yes, it's very bad. He, I feel like he could pull off a slightly younger guy. I feel like he has the perfect kind of aura for Donald Trump Jr. He would have to do a a little bit of makeup but well yeah I, but i mean if zach efron can be like 16 then this guy can be fucking 38 or however old donald trump jr is 40 i don't know zach efron could be 17 again so can True. adam sandler you know it's weird 17 again came out like one year after high school musical meaning that he was in high school musical and then immediately afterwards he played like a 30 year old man who goes back in time to be 17. I, it's been so long since I've watched Seventeen again that I I don't remember. <laughs> the la last time I watched High School Musical was like a marathon we had after our AP uh, psych exam because we had school days but we didn't have anything to do because we'd already taken the final exam. I was in High School Musical, not the movie, but I was in a I was in like a school production of High School. Oh, Musical. you were in a High School Musical, the musical. <laughs> yeah. But not High School Musical, the musical, the show. No, not High School Musical, the musical, the musical, the show, the musical, because that <laughs> is garbage and I hate it. <laughs> I heard it was okay from uh, I don't know, Drew maybe, Gooden. Okay, it, okay. okay. The, this is me as a composer talking right now, right? So ABC Family and like Disney, like sitcom shows that are like family sitcoms, they use the same music in like every show. And it's like, it, it's like, Boom, 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 and it's like that, like during every scene, and it's so distracting for me. I don't know why. And like the backgrounds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Like when they're not singing. Like this is not like the diegetic music, right? It's not like the music that they actually sing and like dance to on stage. It's like the the score of the show, like the background music that happens during conversations and like awkward little moments or whatever. And it's just, it, it totally sucks me out of it. I feel like such a nerd for saying that, but it totally sucks me out of the show. I don't know if it's only because like, I can only stand like higher tier comedy shows, I guess, not not to be pretentious, but <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't see the music or hear the music that much. Cause like all I watch is like community and good place when I'm bored. And those are just rewatching it over and over again. I've never seen good place. Is it good? place it's yeah <laughs> sorry i <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a pretty good show it i was watching it as i became i moved from like conservative moderate liberal socialist it, like during that time span in like sophomore junior year i guess and it kind of helped because there are like some like some very small little anti-capitalist themes thrown throughout the uh the entire yeah i i need to watch it i've everyone has like recommended me that show and i've always been scared because it looks like an abc family show but i i don't think it actually is like i think it actually is. it's so much better 
because yeah. it's directed by or it's made and produced i don't know what role he takes by the guy that made uh brooklyn 99 and parks and rec i want to say Brooklyn Nine-Nine is super heckin' canceled because there's cops in it, but I always liked that show. I only saw a couple episodes, but I liked the ones I saw. Yeah, I, I don't... It's been so long since I've seen all of The Good Place, though, that I, I couldn't give a good account of in, any of the episodes on their own. Community, I've heard, is really good. Oh, it's excellent. I I'm I just finished rewatching it, and I'm going back to watch episodes again for the third time. I like Dan Harmon. And I might like Community. I'd probably like Community. I think I, it's better than Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty has taken some lows. I don't like I don't. Rick and Morty very much. I like Solar Opposites so much more. I haven't seen it, even though I have. Hulu. Justin Roiland is a very funny guy. Um, and Rick and Morty, I think, got too far. You know, like I don't know what concept. happened because I don't know if Dan Harmon's deteriorated or they the writers' room has just become because it like blew up as a show that they just don't know what to do anymore but That's they know they have to I keep it going it got, like i think it got out of hand too quickly um which is why i like solar opposites so much because it's just justin roland's little sandbox that he gets to play yeah. around in and it's really really funny i like it a lot um it's cute it it's like it's still like gross and violent sometimes but it doesn't have the mean spirit that rick and morty has and i really appreciate that because rick and morty sometimes seems a little too jokery for me yeah it it definitely can get too mean sometimes it's like, i'm trying to remember because season four was split into two and the second half is like objectively better it's so much it's so much have the fucking dragon episode i was about to mention how much i hate the dragon episode i felt uncomfortable while watching it i watched it the day after it came out and i was just like i don't feel like I feel like I am being sexually harassed watching this episode. <laughs> it's really bad. I hate it a lot. It was like uncomfortable and unfunny, and it went on for way too long. And I I don't know. I I also the rest of it was just kind of forgettable. But um, the second half I actually kind of liked. I thought it was pretty good. I really from the first half I really liked the heist episode, but that's only because I guess that it like fits perfectly the one style of comedy I really like where it just goes like super hard in on parody even though I can get why people like just hate that episode too I don't remember that one at all the only ones I remember are the ones that are really good or really bad and the dragon one is like it's horrible it's next level it's I'm not willing to rewatch it that's how bad it is but no um what, what I was saying earlier right like if you want to if you want a comedy show that uses music right always sunny Always Sunny uses a very limited selection of like uh, set music that is like free, like royalty free or whatever, but um, it's just fantastic. And they always use like the exact perfect track for the moment that that is happening. And even though you hear it like over and over and over again through the course of the show, it's always like huh, that adds to the comedy. You know, I don't know. I like it. That's that's my favorite comedy show. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I've I've seen a little bit. I think I got through most of the first season. Some of the second season, and then I skipped to the uh, play that Charlie makes in the fifth season, and I don't think I watched another episode since. No, no, I watched the global warming episode in season twelve. Right, the most recent one. I think that the the like most of the comedy of Always Sunny, from my experience, comes from like watching all of it because you watch these characters like devolve into like their most base forms, especially Frank, Danny DeVito's character. 
he comes in as like a loving father figure wanting to like give back to the community and get rid of his money and then like the most recent season he's just like filthy filthy animal man barely human like <laughs> I, I i love it and i love danny devito i literally have a shrine to danny devito in my hallway uh, that's interesting <laughs> we have a, we got like a we got a print of him from uh amazon um shame very canceled and we put it up in the back of that hallway and we put like like a couple candles around it and a little table and that's the danny devito shrine it's where we worship our god in this house yeah uh well sorry i i feel like conversations with me always go into like adhd mode and we go through like eight different topics <laughs> oh no know. it's fine that's how i have conversations i don't i and then i somehow lose track even though i need to get I know what points I want to get to, but I don't know which one I want to connect. <laughs> I'm just a bit, I'm, I'm a little flea, you know, I, I hop from topic to topic and sentence to sentence, things pop into my head randomly and then they leave. It's great. Um, great I guess since you were, uh, I guess since you were talking about compositions, uh, maybe like bef right before we started uh, recording, I mentioned the uh, disco and uh, communism discourse right okay explain that to me one more time yeah I, I need to explain it because the listeners probably have zero fucking idea what i'm talking about um but online there's a little little tiny little pocket of uh, discourse uh that is extremely wholesome uh that i like to call disco and communism discourse it's not really a debate but there are some that say uh leftists need to get on to disco uh which is i believe jack saint said that the youtuber on twitter um it's a it's a great art form. It's one of my favorite genres. The BGs are one of the best artists of all time. Um, and then there's some on TikTok that probably saw the Jack Saint tweet and were like, uh, they did the if you get this, then this comes back too. And it was talking about if you bring back the USSR, disco comes back, which is technically a possibility because there's a lot of disco songs from the 70s that are about the USSR, specifically the colder places i forget what they're a lot of that music come out of the ussr too no uh or at least i wouldn't know but like uh or not not the ussr but like the eastern bloc in general like kind of eastern europe i don't i don't think so from what i, might from be, what I understand like I if might we're talking about like germany bonnie m i think is i want to say they were recorded in germany at least maybe i could be completely wrong completely off uh, but it's like a no, 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 not Bonnie M. Bonnie M was like in England. It was like a group of Indians or Northern Indians uh, brought together to sing. And then there's one that's in German that's about Moscow, I think. No, I should have collected my thoughts before I brought it here. It's okay. You know what? We can all get down to Rasputin together, but um, that. Oh wait, no, that's pre-Soviet. God damn it! Yeah, I, I don't know. When I see when I think of like disco, it's kind of inseparable in my brain from techno, and I know techno had its origins in um, Eastern Europe and like East Berlin, um, but I don't, I don't know about disco. I don't even know how like the history of disco in the slightest. Song. All I know is the the common structure of like disco songs. It's like uh, orchestra. Yeah. 100, 100 to 140 BPM. 2-4. Always 2-4. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's always like. Oh, it, it comes like right at the end of disco. The song Moscow by, I cannot pronounce this. It's something like Diangus Khan or something. I don't, <laughs> I if don't you know. Can, if you could like. Moscow, Moscow. Dun, dun, oh. dun, 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 yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that song. I can't really pronounce the words. because how, of... how tangential the connection from disco to communism is uh, on a scale of one to five. Five being inseparable. One being a disco guy was a communist one time. What would you, <laughs> what number would you say? Uh, I would say two now. Maybe not back then, but two now. Okay, so I think the solution to this discourse um, is that you get market socialism and then you get some disco. So I guess a lot of it probably has to do with that club art form being so connected to like minority groups that were, because disco is like, uh, I guess, lgbtq or specifically uh gay people um and like black people too maybe separate slightly separately but somewhat combined they're both big parts of the 70s club scene oh yeah and how that's i why understand it um sort of part of the reason people are like oh disco killed music is um kind of a latent racism you know the no, same no, no. it's the same reason people say they don't like rap you know yeah. capitalism killed disco yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And Disco needs to come back, uh, get revenge for its father, Disco, and uh, kill capitalism. I uh, like Disco so, and yeah, racism, I, or no, no, capitalism and racism killed Disco, and I yeah, can prove it people, empirically. Uh, people will accuse Disco of having like killed music because it came right at the tail end of the '70s and the beginning of the '80s when like pop music kind of started to become a little bit more homogenous. Um, but I don't think that's Disco's fault. You know, I think that's capitalism's fault, and I think that's a cynical music industry's fault. Um, and that's, we're still dealing with that today. You know, the music industry is like, at least in terms of pop music, is extremely cynical, and it takes teenagers and it makes them like ruin their reputation. And then when they come back and make their own music, like the only people that care are weirdos like me. You know, Miley Cyrus has a new album. I love it. I, I, have, I haven't listened to Miley Cyrus since maybe 2015. Get on that. <laughs> She's making music she wants to make now, and it's so much better. It's so much better. The Wrecking know. Ball? <laughs> Wrecking Ball was good, right? Wrecking Ball was fantastic. But now she's singing more in like this kind of like uh, rootsy, like rocky style. And uh, her voice is so good for it. I, n- I never even noticed, but like she totally has the... Um, she did a cover of... Uh, do you know Zombie by the Cranberries? No. Uh, no, I might have heard of it. I think if it's their most popular song, then I've heard it. I think so. Yeah. Um, she did a cover of Zombie by the Cranberries that really got me woke to like new Miley Cyrus. And I've just, I've been on a kick lately. But that's my, the music industry will take people who want to make art and they'll tell them like what art they need to make based on market trends and what's popular. Um, okay, I have a perfect example of this. Uh, do you spend any time at all on TikTok? Occasionally, yeah. Have you heard of the uh, industry plant called the Tramp Stamps? I haven't. Okay, I need to pull this band up because they got they released uh, an album recently that prob- is really bad from what I've heard of it, at least. But it, it's kind of like a 
faux girl boss fake punk i guess it's the only way i can explain it um fake punk i'll send a picture of what these these women look like uh so uh, i had a question for you really quick yes you edit these podcasts uh i can do you mind if i run to the bathroom uh i can just uh pause the recording okay cool okay (laughs) um and we're back uh, so in the break, I did a, a little bit of research on the tramps, stamps, I think. Um, so on TikTok, what they did was they took the snippet of their chorus and they released it a few days early with them in the them in their like, uh, I guess it's Beatles for e-girls. You know how like the Beatles, uh, Brian Epstein had them all like dressed the same in the suits yeah. to make them feel like one band. It's like that, but uh, much, much worse. Um, they're in there just going like that and like singing. And then everybody in the comments and then the uh, quote TikToks are just like, yeah, this is so obviously a, a uh, industry plant. Do they? So they released the chorus on TikTok as like a TikTok sound so that people would like stitch it and do it and stuff. No, So they could promote the song beforehand. Right. So- like to build hype. Yes. So what happened is they they're under something called uh ooh, what's it called? I think it's like make tampons free or something like that, which is like the base radical position, I guess, like the most basic radical position you can have. And that's base, what the thing right is called. Now. And they copyrighted the name back in I want to say <laughs> March or so. So they already have a copyright for their name. And I think the thing they're under is owned by a major label. Plus they worked with Dr. Luke, which if you know anything about Kesha, oh, he's God. an industry professional. Dr. Luke is like an abusive way possible. Kid, allegedly, right? Maybe either allegedly or like lawfully declared. I, I say allegedly to protect everyone involved, but yeah, no, I, like I, that song, uh, praying that's like about him, right? I believe so. I've only heard it once or twice and it was like right after it came out. That's like Kesha's best. Song. I love that song <laughs> so much. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's like a deep cut that's better, but in terms of like popular Kesha songs, that's the one I've heard. And I'm like, Oh, fucking sing it girl. But I, I like old Kesha too. It's just like, you can tell it's not her writing it because it sounds a lot like 2007, you know? Oh, like TikTok? Yeah, yeah, TikTok. And like, uh, like, oh God, what's the other one? Um, I actually like the uh, Take It Off, Take It Off by Kesha. Do you know that song? Uh, no, I know maybe two Kesha songs. Like, There's a place downtown where- No, I know that one. Come around. I yeah. just needed the verse. Yeah, that's the, I love that song. I am a big fan of that one, um, but it does sound a lot like the other stuff that was coming out in 2007. But yeah. her, her more oh, this she's actually like writing has been great. Yeah, this has a lot of names on uh, who did it. Uh, so they are, they have the writing and performance credit, the three members. Uh, and then there's like 10, no, there's like 20 other people involved in the music video. Like they have a professional music video the day their album comes out, not just two days ago. Damn. So that's uh, pretty obviously an industry plant. That's an industry plant if I've ever seen one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's so weird. Oh God. So do you know about K-pop? I know. I know about K-pop. The way that industry is like. I I watched some type of episodes, a short documentary on YouTube about it. And it's just, if it was here, they would probably be put to court for like child abuse. It's extremely messed up what they do to those girls and, and, and boys too. Yeah, no, they like, and they intentionally pick people who look similar so that it can be uniform. It's like, uh, it's like what they were doing with, um, I'm pretty sure, is it NSYNC or boys? Mm. I wouldn't know. Yeah. So there was a, there was a music um, or like a record producer um, in the early 2000s and late nineties who worked with boy bands. And what he would do is get like five good looking boys and uh, have them like swear to chastity and like keep themselves available so that girls would want them and buy their records. And they would sing a bunch of songs they didn't write, um, mostly stolen from black people. And then those well, songs... styles probably were. Yeah, but sometimes direct, like the songs were directly written by like people who were paid much less than the people singing them to write them. It's a really shady practice, right? But um, I, I mean, like that's how boy bands got big, right? It was completely manufactured from the top down. Oh, oh you're it. talking about boy band. I thought you were talking about K-pop. Oh no, K-pop is um, K-pop is I think kind of that, but run way more efficiently and better. Um, and it's really scary to me because- from What I know is something happened in the late nineties and early 2000s, they, a music industry put, their, put all their money into uh, one guy or like one performer who was like doing American styles, um, I guess. It's been like three or four years since I've seen this or two or three years since I've seen it. Huh. Um, but they lost big time on this one. Like he did not get popular at all. Like even if he was forced or not. Um, and this is the, like, they picked him up like a year or two before he started performing maybe. Um, so to make up on that loss, they basically created an entire industry of industry plants. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what it is. And that's what boy bands were in the 90s and 2000s and that's i mean like it's it's a great marketing strategy because you have total control over every aspect of the project right um it's it's run by marketing people instead of music people um primarily so it, it it's great for making money but it's really bad for art i think um i think we might be seeing i don't know how they'll come in the next uh like generation of music platforms but i think as we're, they have been uh, in the past, I think we're witnessing like, kind of the death of industry plants because we have this generation that loves like gen- genuine like things. Plus music has kind of been democratized. So anybody can make music. Anybody can get a hit if they get on TikTok good enough. Like this sugar crash uh, person just like randomly got famous from a TikTok with like 400 views or you know 400 likes. These things come in waves, right? So like in the eighties and I'm generalizing here because obviously there's a lot of overlap and no decade is like just run by a certain kind of mode of doing this. But like you had kind of the explosion of like uh, hair metal and like very homogenous sounding stuff that was mostly being run by like record executives and uh, heads of labels and things like that. And then in the nineties you had people come out with like grunge and things like that, that were more like kind of feeling splat on the wall 
and that's like what people were into right um coming out of like bands like nirvana and uh nine inch nails and people like that but like not that nine inch nails are grunge holy shit nine inch nails fans will fucking strangle me for that one so no they're not grunge but it's a similar kind of aesthetic right um but then in the 2000s you know we go back to this kind of homogenous like we we get the boy band craze and we get the the female pop star who is simultaneously deified and slut shamed and um now people are getting tired of that and we're having a return to kind of like genuine emotive expression um but i worry and the reason i worry is that i i worry that record labels might see that and start to kind of commodify relatability in the way that well, that, um, that's like, what this is trying to be yeah and i you can't that. commodify so, relatability relatability is not commodifiable it like defeats the whole point it's and I think, so sneaky to me and it's so sinister i don't like it with every single time we see like it shift i think it just the companies they go to they get too confident in what they're doing that they don't like look out for the long term like uh they keep pushing up stuff like cherry pie from like the hair metal era i think it's cherry pie um i, I don't really want to sing that one but like it just gets like hair metal got like extremely sexualized with the music videos and then just the long hair and everybody looked the same and you could just obviously tell at that point that this is this is not a genre of like van halen anymore this is just uh meant to get as much money from like 16 to 22 year olds as possible and that's why that's why i shudder when people say music sucks now it was better back then because no it wasn't we just remember the good stuff like the good, the good stuff has stuck around and the good stuff that's coming out now will stick around and the bad stuff will fade into obscurity. Just like all the generic hair metal in the eighties that nobody remembers or talks about. You haven't heard disco duck, but you've definitely heard staying alive. Yeah, exactly. You, you hear the big ones, you know, but um, there's a great, okay. The, the concept I'm talking about, there's a great Lindsay Ellis video um, that talks about this in, in, terms of like social media personalities and influencers, but it exists in the music industry too. Uh, manufactured authenticity, right? Oh. It's so, it's necessary now because people like authenticity. Um, so if corporations want to continue pumping out stuff, they can't have this clean corporate aesthetic, right? But it's also so, so sinister to me that, that people will like. I think this band is kind of the perfect, uh, or like it's the ultimate end of what that is trying to be but it's kind of like you can't a corporation can't become a person so it just completely fails at what a trend is because it's trying to mix like late emo punk I, I don't know like later emo pop i guess with like a little tiny spritz of hyper pop like kind of like a 60 year old 50 year old like executive being like oh yeah the kids like that stuff where it's like super auto-tuned and pitchy Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's, oh, it's so irritating too, because like people see through it. I don't know how they don't think that we see through it, but like if that TikTok comment section is anything to go by and if like every kind of response to this sort of thing, I see it. people are so trigger happy with accusing people of industry being industry plants that they'll accuse people who aren't industry plants of being industry plants because it's such a like, sneaky dishonest tactic to plant people in the industry who are going to make you money you know uh, for industries uh i am extreme i'm an extremely genuine person i would gladly become a plant i need money <laughs> i don't make money from this at all 
if you if if left Twitter needs to have a, a streamer who sells out, um, pick Vosh, but then pick me after Vosh. Yeah. We can. I make extremely genuine sad acoustic pop on Spotify. Please listen to it. Is this an ad for left? Is this a la- an ad for leftology listeners to go listen to my Spotify? Definitely. But also record executives. I need millions of dollars in my possession for free, and I will make you an album. Maybe. I don't have that kind of marketable skill. None of my. I, I don't know how to work a digital audio workstation. All my music for, uh, is for instruments and vocalists and stuff. I make music off of audacity. That's how bad I am at everything else and not willing to pay $200. Oh yeah. I mean, pay $200. There, there are, there are definitely ways to get your hands on a digital audio workstation, but the issue is like you, it's so complicated that you need like a class to figure it all out. I I still can't. And I get, um, I get to the point of mixing and then I shut down and I want to die because mixing is extremely hard and my headphones are not good enough to handle that um and the one song i ever did post on soundcloud sounded like shit on the other end of an actual pair of headphones because i had a very bad uh, frame of reference with these tinny little walmart bitches that i Uh, have for streaming right so it's it's never uh i don't know how many layers you're working with but i got what is it like maybe two layers of guitar a few layers of vocals and then that's it and then i mix it all together and boom spotify I'll work on that, you know. Uh, maybe Audacity is way easier to use. That, oh, it's that extremely easy, easy, but it doesn't have that many features. Um, I but, write my music on. Uh, I write my music on Sibelius. Do you know what that is? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Sibelius is. Um, I, I get it at a discounted price because I'm in college for it. But I, it's like a music notation software where you write sheet music. Um, I write all my music on that, and then it plays it back on MIDI. Um, and then I guess I could, I could probably play it on the keyboard, and then like pick different sounds for different instruments that, uh, that might be cool yeah yeah audacity has no midi interesting <laughs> yeah that's why it's free um okay yeah, i get you because with with digital audio workstations you can just like take a line of music like let's say i wrote one line for clarinet right you could just take that put it put the midi file in and then replace the sound with like a clarinet and like a clarinet sound that sounds a little bit more authentic and then it would sound good, but I can't figure out how to work in digital audio workstation. So I can't do that. It's very yeah. sad. Uh, but to get, to get somewhat back on topic, I guess. Sorry. I, they, I, they, like, okay. No, no, to, just to explain, just to explain really quick, a digital audio workstation is what people use to make like pop music and um, like hip hop and like, any music in general, what they used to, what they used to produce um, and like, handle the technical aspects of other music or even like acoustic music. Um, and it's something that producers do. I'm a composer. I don't have the skills of a producer and it makes me mad because those are the real marketable skills these days, right? If you're a composer, you got to get involved with like TV or film and those industries are possibly even worse than the music industry. So who knows? Yeah. There's like what? 10 composers. That's why all ABC shows sound the same. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all one guy with like some, with like some finger drums and like, a, a keyboard and he goes boom 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 sorry oh i was wondering if you wanted me to read out the lyrics to the the industry plant song <laughs> absolutely let's hear it um so the the main line of the song it's the beginning of the chorus is i'd rather die than hook up with another straight white guy um so it it's <laughs> am i like, right fellow young women am i right <laughs> 
girl boss energy. This is uh this is the energy of uh, Margaret Thatcher had girl boss energy. This is this is that. <laughs> Do you think she had girl boss energy when she um starved out? <laughs> when she sent paramilitary squads to Northern Ireland. Uh, so it starts out the first verse is uh it's just like the pop late pop punk I guess is the best way like 2009 or whatever, like the heavy guitars and then those like overproduced vocals um, of. I can't remember the last time I slept with someone I actually liked and he went down on me. <laughs> I can't recall a memory of someone driving me home and not asking for a blowjob. <laughs> Obviously, uh, not great writing. Like, as, as somebody who's spent the last, what is it now, almost four years writing songs, this is, this is like first or second thought level. Of- it's rough because it's engaging in such literalism that I, I don't know. It's, there's no symbolism at all. There's no subtlety to it. It's just like, don't you hate it when people ask you for blowjob? It reads like an SNL parody of a song to me. It's a parody of itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then it gets in the chorus of, I'd rather die than hook up with another straight white guy. I'd rather die than fake it like I'm having a good time. I'd rather die than spend the night with another Ryan or Matthew or John. Yeah, I'd rather die. Die, 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 die. Roll over and die. They didn't even use any of the actual white boy names. Those are all white boy name white boy names. Ryan, Matthew, yeah, I and John. I guess, but they're but they're not like the stereotype ones. They didn't use Kyle. No, they no, didn't... wait. The song's not over yet. Oh, are they gonna use Kyle? Okay. Oh, you're spoiling the song, okay? They're saving Kyle for the. They're end. saving Kyle for the second chorus, okay? Let me wait. Let me guess really quick. I'm I'm just gonna take three names. And oh wait, guess. let me. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven names they use in the final chorus. Can you predict any of them other than Kyle? Kyle is is, is obviously one. Chad, um, Brad. Nope. Michael or Mike, um, Chris. Chris is not in there. Um, Okay, now I'm thinking of different stereotypes. I almost said Jim, but that's like Boomer. Get down, oh my God. (laughs) Stop it, messing with my (laughs) Um. Not the worst we've had. Uh, I think Thorsey's like someone nearby had was like drilling in while we were having like probably the it was part of the discussion that I clipped for Twitter too. I mean, she just knocked down an empty coffee mug and it didn't break or anything. But Jesus Christ, Kitty. Yeah, uh, that that's three out of eleven. Um, uh, let, wait, 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 one sec, one sec, one sec. I I, I get one more. I got one more in me. One more. Um, Okay, no, I don't. I don't. Have don't. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I don't know how, how like oblivious you'll feel when I finally read them. Probably um, But the second verse is. I feel like it's kind of sexual assaulty. Like I, I said, I think before we started recording. Um, but it's. I don't know how you think we're gonna fuck when you can't get it up. I'm sick of hearing it's the alcohol. 
And when you're finally in the mood, it lasts one or two seconds and then you're done and I want a spoon. And then there's like a little bridge. So I'm just saying it's not fair. Leave me hanging like this. I'm just saying it's not fair. Leave me hanging like this. And I'm like, Ooh. yeah, it's pretty fair. I don't know. That's rough. <laughs> Do some deep lyrical analysis of the, what, what is it? Who is this again? Tramp stamps. The, the tramp uh, stamps. I could use this in my uh, essay eventually that I'm going to write on the effects of toxic masculinity of uh, <laughs> where men are stereotyped to liking sex. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a where huge it's, it's okay to sexually assault them because they like it. Huge, gross problem. Ugh. I actually, that is a problem that extends um, further. Uh, this is very off topic, but I... Um, have I have spoken to TERFs who've told me that trans women can't get sexually assaulted because men can't get sexually assaulted and you're a man. And it's like, oh boy, I'll be sure to tell the guy following me out of the club that. <laughs> be like, no, sir, I apologize. I am in fact, I. Um, so by the laws of nature, you cannot touch me. I cannot be sexually assaulted. I know you're you're literally immune. I, I mean, yeah. with me, like someone might mistake me for a woman and then all hell would break loose. But you, I mean, you're. <laughs> uh, so final chorus, it's it's a two minute song, uh, two minutes, 15 seconds on YouTube. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty short song. Like yeah, I have a short, song that short, but still. Um, uh, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than hook up with another straight white guy. I'd rather die than fake it like I'm having a good time. I'd rather die than spend the night with uh, get ready. Uh, there's 11 names. Uh, see how disappointed you are in your inability to uh, get them. But with another Kyle or Spencer or Rob or Michael or Jason or Charlie or Jackson or Henry or Stephen or Connor or Chad yeah, I'd rather die, 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 roll over and die. And that's the entire lyrics. Connor and Spencer were pretty good. I would have, I would have pitched Tyler though. That's, I guess that's reasonable. I don't think Henry is uh, that common in, among fuck boys. I don't know. Who knows though? I have a cousin named Henry. Is he a fuck boy? I wouldn't characterize him, but I see him twice a year. I've never met a fuckboy named Henry. I don't. I, I he has too much. Of Tyler's, but I've never met a fuckboy named Henry. I think my cousin has too much personality to be a fuckboy. <laughs> but uh, I I don't know. Uh, I might be uh, shielding myself because uh, I he might have access to listen to my podcast. There's a thin line between himbo and fuckboy, you know, and and some people can. There's an extremely thick line, I think, between them, but people get them mixed up. I know it's so sad. I hear Hembo people was like, respect women. No, but. I was watching. I've been watching a lot of Love Island because I'm trash, and uh, the words that I can pick up because they all talk in these horrific British accents. Oh, um, I've never heard of Love Island. No, no, I have heard of it actually. Yeah, it's, it's been the a while. UK's Bachelor, essentially, but oh. um, the, but like, so there is six men, and I think I've parsed out which ones are himbos and which ones are fuckboys. Um, all of the new men they introduce over the course of the season are fuckboys, but like there's a solid like three or four himbos in there. 
And you know, I'm digging it. I think it's good when I can understand what they're saying because they all talk like, uh, they'll talk like, oh, I love gifting in the canvas with the color swallow. And I have no idea what that means, you know, and the subtitles oh. don't help because it's like a, like a dialect thing I don't understand. Dang it. I was, I was trying to see if I could put them in the thumbnail, but it, it's like all the pictures are like 50 50 men and women. And I'm like, I only want the guys. <laughs> <laughs> the guys from Love Island. They're like super buff too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are like, and then there's like a couple that have like dad bods, but like. <laughs> like it, it's the guys from The Bachelor, but like they're the bodies neck down look like they're from Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're all like, I don't know. I feel like some of them look like. A little bit monstrous i don't know i think i could tell which ones are hembos and not if i knew the names <laughs> uh it's, I don't it's... Know. you might be looking at the most recent season i'm talking season one right i just pulled up images and it's just showing me men i'll give you here let's play a game all right i'll give you a name and you tell me if it's a himbo or a fuck boy okay there's six questions on this. Is exam. this this on? These are the people on Love Island. Yes. One. Okay. Yes. And if I'm seeing if you can tell just from their name, Jonathan. That's a himbo. That's a himbo. Ding 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 ding. One point for Cameron. Um, Chris. Uh, I'm gonna go fuck boy with this one. Yeah, a little bit middle of the road, but yeah. Josh. A big fuck boy. Big fuck boy. You got him. You got him. It, uh, it, you can tell with the ones that have multiple because Jonathan, if he was a fuck boy, would go by John. Yeah, yeah. Omar. I'm going to go himbo. He's actually the one exception to either of these. Omar is a lovable geek. He, he, he's still buff, but he's very awkward and he doesn't know how to talk to girls and it's really funny. Um, I think that fits more on the himbo side than... Jordan. I'm getting big fuck boy vibes from that name. No, actually. We, wait, wait. Which Jordan, though? How do you, do you spell mean? this? Oh, J-O-R-D-A-N. Oh. I, I would normally say fuck boy off the top of my head. Himbo. He's a himbo. He's giant and he's very, he's the buffest guy, but he's a himbo. He's a himbo. Uh, Lewis. I'm getting uh, listens to Macklemore vibes. Uh, so fuck boy. <laughs> yeah, fuck boy. <laughs> Good job. You got, uh, you got five out of six. Five out of six. <laughs> five out of six. 83. I got to be on the exam. Good job. <laughs> yeah yeah this is our uh, by far least political podcast uh but uh <laughs> hey iHeartRadio, if you need me as a host i am here am i free no but still pay me i need money uh i don't really know what else to talk about i was gonna get into there's some political stuff earlier i wanted to talk oh about. you were gonna talk about uh destiny's friend yeah destiny friend omni liberal uh, it, a 180 turn back into the political um, rant thoughts, I guess. I, I, me and Pat are just not f fans of Destiny. I, I think he's an asshole. I <laughs> you want my thoughts on it? 
Uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. I think it's entertaining to listen to him argue with Nazis while I'm doing the dishes, but I think, broadly speaking, outside of his um, his organizing for Asif, because that was incredibly based, and I, that, I have a lot of respect for that, um, I think that he is um, a knee-jerk reaction person who will get angry at a thing, and then immediately his entire community is like, yeah, boss, the boss said to hate this thing, so we're going to hate it too. And then they brigade it, and then, I don't know, it seems very toxic to me. Um, so my, I think, if I'm going to analyze this, it's like Twitter, and uh, I think we talked about debate last time, but they're just huge uh, Pavlov's dogs case studies. Because, like, Destiny's fans just vindicate him for just like or like twitter vindicates people for just having the most extreme reactions or the extreme takes because it, you either get the oh my god fi someone finally fucking said it yas queen or you get like a million replies and quote tweets and your serotonin goes up either way because you're being noticed yeah super um i don't engage in that because i never want to be the villain of the day um and i've come close a couple of times <laughs> For, for things I genuinely believe and didn't just kind of make up to be controversial. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the, like, there are some things that um, Destiny and his fans will say on Twitter that um, are, like, true technically, but don't need to be said, and especially don't need to be said on Twitter.com, where they will be taken in the most inflammatory way possible and immediately spike engagement. And it's extremely transparent to me what, what the goal is, you know? Um, but I... I mean, he lives by his principles, so I can't really fault him for that. But I, it definitely is a sphere that I don't like to make myself a part of. Yeah, I, I'm not controversial, even though, like, I guess you said earlier that the hot takes come from listening to Chapo. And I'm, I'm personally a Patreon sub, which is sometimes a debatable action. Um, I, like, I like the Chapo people. And I really liked Chapo up until Bernie lost the primary. And then they just... I, I think they've recovered a little bit after the elections. Cause have they? Because they got really depressed. And it was just a drag to listen to them, like, Doomer post about how Biden and Trump are the same. And I, I, I'm just, like, if they've, think... if they've made a comeback, I'm interested in listening again. Because their reading series and, and like, that kind of stuff was always super entertaining to me. They get the best guest. Uh, like I'm advocating for a different podcast on my podcast, uh, but they have their hot takes occasionally that I just, I just, I, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that's wrong, obviously. I like Felix. He seems like he'd yeah, be a fun guy. Felix is uh, like undoubtedly the funniest one. Uh, if you want to see a shit post as a person, that's Felix. Go check that out. Go check okay. his Twitter out. <laughs> that that's the only way to describe him, though. Is he's a shit post as a person. I don't like Amber and Matt. I do like Felix and uh, Will. Yeah. I don't know. I have mixed feelings on Virgil, Texas. I don't absolutely hate Virgil. Some people do because of his bad faith. But there, there was the episode of Bad Faith with... Um, I forget. No, it was with Sam Cedar. And Brianna just like picked a question talking about would uh, Michael... What's, I forget what his last name Michael is. Michael Tracy. Or Michael Brooks. Michael Brooks. Michael, Michael Brooks. Brooks Michael Brooks would support Bernie or busting. And she was like, obviously. And Sam was like, no, or, no. And this is disrespectful. And Virgil was just kind of just sitting there like, 
like in his head, you could obviously tell he was just thinking is like, why the hell are we talking about this? This is disrespectful as fuck. Why did you bring up his dead friend to sell him on Force the Vote, you fucking cynic? Ugh, I hate, I, I really don't like Brianna Joy Gray at all. Yeah. I guess that that was kind of a, I don't, I don't know what it was, like a re- somewhat of redemption of Virgil, because you could obviously tell that he does not completely agree with this person. He's, I'm watching him sit there and he looks so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Which I understand. It, like if somebody did that in a discussion I was a part of, I'd be like, I haven't, you know what, that's something in all my appearances on panel shows, I've never experienced like the awkward moment where someone says something that's too far and everyone goes quiet. Uh. I hope I never do. Yeah, like if, if somebody asked, um, like one of the people that I'm, I guess, close with that I've like had on the show, like I don't know, or like semi close with at least online, because I don't know these people in real life. Like if if someone, I don't really want to name names because these are like eighteen year olds. Uh, like if if someone like SDL or like Mouthy had like passed away like five years or so from now, somebody asks, it's like, would they believe in this or not? And it's like, who who cares? Like this this person is this is a dead person. This is not a debate they had. I don't know. I it's think disrespectful. I, around, I think I would walk around with a big flag with Mouthy's face on it, promoting my political ideology and being like, see, Mouthy said it. You all love him. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, the long-term version of this is just like Marxist Leninists being like, Marx would not have supported electoralism. That's true. I'm like, That's it's actually- not 1848 anymore, buddy. Of course, it's uh, of course when you when you bring up someone who died last week, it's like that's too soon. That is too soon. But with with Marx, I feel like there's enough time passed that you could attribute any idea to him, and people won't question you. It's like maybe he was pro-revolution, but the times were a little different back then. I mean, did you see the people unironically saying that class is based on income alone? Do they even do they read theory? Like I, it's the same people that always tell me to read theory. I haven't read theory, and I'll fess up to that. You know, I'm not gonna walk around claiming to be like Mrs. Mrs. Theoryhead over here, but like I've read my little bit, but like the board. I know like, enough. To like know you're supposed to hate landlords, not actors. I know enough to know that class is not based on income because that would yeah. mean that like doctors are my political enemy and have like different interests. They are sometimes though. Occasionally some doctors. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the one time I can think of them being class enemies is uh, the one time in Canada when they implemented Medicare for all, when they're like, they all went on strike and were like, no. And then Canada was just like work fucker. And then they started working. Work fucker. So that fucking can it's that meme with like Canada poking doctors with a stick. Be like, do docked, do docting. Yeah. Um, well, it seems like that's all. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on. Yeah. Uh, thanks be glad for to have you on us. again. I know it's uh, fucking like pulling teeth to get me on these shows because I shit just happens in my life and I just have to live in the moment, you know, but it's been uh, like a month and a half. 
I know. I finally it's, got it done though. Every time, fucking this guy has tried to get me on this show for like a, a month or two, and every time I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And then he sends the link, and then some fucking bullshit happens. Like I have some family situation, or my partner like calls out of work or something, and I'm like, oh well, great, I can't do that now. But we finally made it work. All right, this yeah. is a. Uh, this is the beginning of a new era in yeah, Marcy finally Vosh. got Marcy on the podcast. <laughs> next Vosh. Next up is Vosh. Yeah, uh Vosh, if you're hearing this, come on the podcast. Uh we will debate strongly. Uh what how do I bait Vosh onto my uh podcast? Um what you do is you completely change your brand and say you're a conservative. Uh Vosh, I am for the time being until you come on my podcast uh whatever you whatever current arc you are on whether it be lefty oh you're a tanky yeah if you you're on a tanky arc i'm on a tanky i'm I'm a tanky if uh you're on a liberal arc i'm a liberal if you're on a conservative arc uh i'm a liberal uh i'm not gonna go any further than liberal i'm not evil um i guess tankies are a little uh but yeah fascist cam fascist cam Cam. (laughs) yeah uh i try not to get canceled i I try not to get canceled uh (laughs) hashtag fascist cam make it um, but before we go i guess uh i'll put any links that you send me in the description below but i guess uh self-promote time oh okay cool um, so my name is Marcy. I go by eGirl Music Theory on Twitter, um, twitter.com slash Haha. I also have an Instagram account under the same name and I'm on Twitch. Um, I do stream, I stream like video games. Sometimes I stream myself writing music on Sibelius. Um, most of the time though, I'm going on panel shows and uh, destroying conservatives with facts and logic on culture war issues that they don't know anything about. So um, that, that Twitch link is twitch.tv slash theory. Um, in a couple of days, I don't know when is this coming out. Uh, we release them on Tuesdays, so okay. So uh, two April days ago, tw- from- uh, April twentieth comes out. I'll be on the uh, <laughs> Hippie Dippy Recruitment Roundtable podcast. But um, I mean, I-, I show up on those all the time. So come every single Sunday until I'm there, and then yeah. you can stand me in the audience. Uh, well, good for you. You get the four twenty podcast. True, I do get the 420 podcast. I get to wait. Actually, oh no, 418. Oh, 420. Oh my God, you're right. Congratulations, right. you accidentally made the. Uh... Oh no, that's too dark to mention on the podcast. <laughs> you're also exposing me as being bad at math. So good job. Yeah, I was like four that, days. That, that's the 18. That's for that's femboy maths problem. Um, <laughs> Go have have you had them on the show? I haven't. I don't know what they do. Um, get, get Femboy Maths on the show. You get some. Yeah, some give great me some math recommendations. Uh, but uh, before I stop recording, uh, thanks to everybody that came and listened. Uh, sorry for not posting for an entire month and a half, though. Uh, thank you for listening to our one occasional episode. We'll be back eventually. Like I said last time, no promises. This might be the last episode. It could be. Both of us could die. Uh, but thank you for listening.